the thing is to be kind, to be kind to one another as we ask ourselves to shift the entire paradigm upon which we have based our world, our civilization, our life, and our society. Be kind as we share the new discoveries because not everyone learns at the same rate. And in that kindness, we help one another arrive at the deep truth that we're not what we've been told and we're so much more than we've than we probably ever allowed ourselves to imagine. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. New discoveries in biology as well as other life sciences now reveal that cooperation, not competition, is the fundamental rule of nature. Cooperation not competition. Why? Well, we live on a conscious living planet in a conscious living universe. Life itself is meaningfully and coherently informed and guided. Nested in relational complexity, there are dynamic patterns and processes of wholeness, all at scales of existence of all scales, beautifully ordered and incredibly fine-tuned. The convergence of scientific breakthroughs with universal wisdom and spiritually-based teachings tap into the wisdom of our hearts and awaken the power of a new human story. I'm wondering what the story of Gaia awakens in our guests today. We have two amazing voices together to explore the unitive nature of reality and our fundamental interbeing, interconnectedness, interdependence, and belonging. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness to your heart, relax, and open your mind as we settle into our essential wholeness. And I'll introduce my co-host and guest. Dr. Jude Curavan is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, co-founder of Whole World View, and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram. Jude has published The Story of Gaia, which has inspired this Conscious Planet series, and she has been my co-host all along. I'm happy to have her here again. And our guest, Greg Braden, is a five-time New York Times best-selling author scientist, international educator, and renowned as a pioneer in the emerging paradigm based in science, social policy, and human potential. From 1979 to 1991, Greg worked as a problem solver during times of crisis for Fortune 500 companies, including Cisco Systems, where he became the first technical operations manager in 1991. He continues problem-solving today as his work reveals deep insights into the new human story and how the discoveries inform the policies of everyday life and the emerging world. To date, his research has led to 15 film credits and 12 award-winning books now published in over 40 languages. And welcome back to the show, Greg. 
Oh, Julie, first, it is just, it's so good to be with you and to be with, uh, with Jude, both of your dear friends. I'm excited about this conversation. I'm honored to be part of this conversation. Uh, this is completely unscripted. We have no idea where this is going to go, and that's what makes it exciting. And uh, I just, I want to thank you for all that you're doing to bring this conversation to our community always, but especially now. I think it's really, really vital. It's more than just interesting. It's vital that we have this conversation now for the reasons that we're going to talk about in this program. So, so thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I think that that idea of moving from interesting to vital is really the underpinning for our conversation today too. Like as we're looking at, it used to be interesting to learn all these new things and go, wow, the illusion of separation. And now look at the new science and wow, it says that even your work with the wisdom codes and thinking about the influence of words. Wow, that's so cool. And now it's time to really bring it all together into a vital conversation, but more, more like a vital prescription, a vital narrative, a vital pathway, a new map, a trajectory for us to really move into this unitive space and, and to do the work that we're doing. So thanks for saying that. It's, it's, it is interesting, but it is more importantly vital right now. I agree. And something you said, Julie, in describing Greg's work about problem solving. I and mean, one of the things I, I absolutely love about Greg's work is it is about problem solving, but even more so, it's about realizing potential and empowering people to actually work, work through that possibility and offer authentic hope. So I feel that, you know, what we're all serving really is this new story, whether it's, a, you know, the whole universal story of a meaningful and purposeful universe that exists and evolves as a unified entity, and also what is our evolutionary place within that and its potential unfolding ongoing evolutionary arc. And yes, the timing perhaps couldn't be more vital. So to add my voice to Julie's, thank you, Greg, for joining us. Oh, well, well thank you for that. You know, the, well, I, I think we, we really can't separate the, you mentioned, Julie, the new human story. We can't separate the human story from the story of our planet that, that we live on. And, and where I think this is really surprising a lot of people in my live audiences is when we talk about the story, there has been a, a sense in the past that when we talk about a story, it's a philosophical concept, abstract, maybe interesting, you know, to talk about over a latte at Starbucks. But when people realize that we live our lives based upon our story, the way we have been taught to think, this is what our story is the way we have been conditioned to think about ourselves and our relationship to the world. So we, we live our lives based upon this, our, our story. Every problem that comes to us in every moment of life, whether it's a, a little problem, you know, in, um, in logistics of a family or big problems between nations, it's all based on the way we think of ourselves. We heal our bodies based upon our stories. We choose our relationships based upon our stories. And now we choose our politics, we choose the policies that are guiding our lives on global levels as well as, as local levels, all based upon the way we've been taught to think. New discoveries are now giving us reasons to change the way we think because the evidence no longer supports the old story. And that, I think, is 
surprising to a lot of people. And what they say to me is, how come we don't know about this? Why aren't we hearing about this? You know, why, why don't we hear about this in our schools? Why aren't we hearing about it on uh, legacy media, legacy mainstream television? And it's a good question. And uh, I think it's part of our conversation today. But, but I, I just really want to, to anchor immediately. There is an urgency and it is vital because we are choosing the policies. The laws are being written right now. And the policies are, are being enacted right now based upon a story that is no longer supported by the evidence. And those are the policies and the laws that are defining our lives, our freedoms, the degree through which we can express everything from our, our spirituality to our joy, to our passion, is all being driven by this story. So it's really vital that we get this story right. And then it's based upon at least right as we know it now. And as new evidence comes to light, this is where the science comes in. Science is designed to be constantly updated with new evidence. We have to keep science honest. And as new evidence comes in, we will update that story. But we're being asked to embrace a static story that was developed in late 1800s, early 1900s. It served us at a period of time. We've outgrown that story. And so this is the invitation, I think, now to embrace the deep truth of, of the new human and the new Gaia story. I was thinking about your phrase of the power of our new human story, awakening the power of our new human story. And I also want to say this, this new science is awakening the potential our human potential. So I'm just, I'd love to hear both you and Jude, but I'm going to start with you, Greg, to just expand on that about really what do you feel is that new human story? And what is our human potential now that we understand that we live on a conscious living planet in a conscious living universe? Sure, Julie. Well, those, those are two questions. And the, the story, our human story begins with our cosmos. So we cannot separate those. We've been conditioned to believe that we live in a dead universe made of inert material that is the result of an unbelievably lucky convergence of, of parameters, of physics parameters, uh, and that we as biological beings are the product of random mutations based upon unbelievably lucky biology. And when we think in, in these terms, this is our story. And so the choices that we make in the world around us reflect the fact that we're conditioned to think there's nothing, you know, uh, we're just lucky, lucky that we're here and that the sanctity of life is not really being taught to young people uh, in our schools today and the sanctity of the earth that we live upon and the, how precious these parameters really are and how rare and precious life is in general. The new story is telling us something very different. I know you've, you've had other conversations and, and my dear friend, Dr. Jude has this amazing book that is telling us it's really bringing together all of these parameters in a very concise, very beautiful way. We live in a living universe. The universe is alive, but it doesn't stop there because now we know the universe is intelligent and even conscious. And some of the science that backs this is we're looking at galaxies that appear to be making conscious choices 
to move themselves out of the pathways of dangerous pulsars, dangerous uh, flares coming from their from uh, supernova events and things like that. They create jets from the center of the galaxy that actually moves it out of the way in a, in a very intelligent and very uh, very concise way. The, the first time the Hubble telescope caught this, they said, well, you know, maybe it was a fluke. And then the James Webb telescope began showing that this happens more frequently than, you know, the, we have come to, to understand. And the physicists now are saying not only is the universe alive, but it is conscious and intelligent. In a living universe, you would expect life to be the, the norm, not the exception. And now we're redefining even what the definition of life is. You know, in, in Dr. Jude's book, uh, chapter seven is one of her most favorite chapters where she is talking about how, the, how these finely tuned parameters have allowed the universe to, to be as, as it is. It's called expectancy. It was the title of that chapter, expectancy. When you begin to, to look at parameter after parameter after parameter that is so finely tuned to support carbon-based life, which is what we are as we know it, you have to say that the odds of that happening randomly are so astronomical that there is some guiding force, some intelligence that is weaving its way, not just through our bodies, not just through our planet, not just through our solar system, but uh, the universe itself, and that we are, we are part of that. So the young people that come to our events, they say, okay, okay, you know, we get it. Maybe our story is off a little bit that we developed in the 20th century. So what, you know, what's, what, what difference does it make? You know, we live in this high tech world. we got internet, you know, meta, they're having trouble connecting the two. And, and so they're surprised by the answer. And the answer is that our society is based upon the, the foundations, the pillars of our society that was developed in the late 1800s is based upon the scientific principles that defined our story in the late 1800s. So we see those principles, survival of the strongest in economics, in the economic models. Rather than models of sharing and cooperation, we have models of competition and conflict. We see them in corporate models uh, with top-down structures. Nature doesn't work that way. We see it in the way that we care for one another in our communities, care for our aged uh, and elder members of our communities, for our children. So these scientific principles actually are reflected in the choices that we make guiding our everyday lives. So we're at a critical turning point. We're making choices now. And this is why it's important that the new story, uh, the human story and the story of our cosmos, of Gaia, be foundational because it is being reflected in the choices we make in energy and finance and economics in healing and health in the vital resources that we share food energy water medicine between nations all of those are being built out based upon the way we have learned to think and the new science is giving us beautiful powerful new ways to build a new world so I'm, I'm going to stop there. I'd, I'd love to hear what, uh, what Dr. Jude has to say, but I, I hope I answered those two questions for you. Oh, yeah, that was beautiful. And Jude, I would invite you to jump in here yeah. as we're talking about the new human story and our potential and the power that comes with this new understanding. 
first of all, Greg, that was beautiful and, and incredibly powerful. What an incredible invitation it is for our universe to invite us into this journey of being new humans. And so I'd, I'd just like to sort of maybe add a few thoughts to what you, you said. You know, it, the appearance of our universe now is realized as not being its fundamental reality. I think this is the real game changer, that we, we see an appearance of a universe that appears material. It appears made up of separate stuff. And the science is showing us absolutely what you're saying, that it is not, that we are literally inseparable from the wholeness of, of our universe and that its appearance arises from those deeper levels of, of intelligence and sentience as a living, evolving universe. And it does so meaningfully and purposefully. So our universe doesn't just exist and evolve as a unified entity. It meaningfully exists and purposefully evolves. I think it's that evolutionary impulse to evolve from its initial simplicity to its ever greater levels of complexity. And as Julie said, the, the sort of the, the nested relational intelligence of it that really, I think, now speaks to our opportunity here, really speaks to our potential and our empowerment here. Because, you know, often we speak of ourselves as human beings, that we're stardust. Well, we're way older than stardust. You know, the hydrogen in our bodies is as old as the universe itself. The journey of our universe, the, the story and the journey of Gaia, from that initial simplicity to complexity meant that, you know, even before our planetary system was born over five billion years ago, the galaxy, our galaxy and galaxies throughout our universe, I would, and I think we'd all agree, the evidence is suggesting we're already preparing for planetary homes to be able to nurture the ongoing complexity and the birth of biological organisms such as ourselves. Because in interstellar clouds of dust and gas that Hubble showed us, that James Webb is showing us, we've now the evidence that every building block of biological life forms were already present. You know, all those prebiotic molecules, those carbon-based molecules were already there. They were held together by ice, water. They were bathed in ultraviolet light of stars. They were shepherded by galactic and interstellar magnetic fields into birthing, birthing clouds of, 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 of planetary systems. So when we talk about this, this story, it's a story that literally is from the very first moment of our universe. And here we are now as human beings, yeah, individuated microcosms of its innate living consciousness. And I would suggest as its evolutionary impulse that is flowing through us. So as we stand together at the bow wave of this potential and possibility, you know, this is truly our moment of choice. Do we still stay in that old story of the illusion of separation? Because the evidence now is showing it is indeed an illusory. Or do we wake up? remember we're inseparable, link up, lift up, level up, light up, as Julie and I say together, to really take our steps into becoming future humans. And for every child to be educated, educare, which means, the, as we know, the bringing forth, not the imposition, 
but the bringing forth of what is innate within us, this knowingness that we are you know, children of our universe, that we belong to its evolutionary purpose. We are part of its, innately of its evolutionary purpose. I feel is potentially transformational and that's the vitality and that's, I agree wholeheartedly. This new story, what Julie and I refer to as this new unitive narrative can underpin and frame all the transformational change that you so tirelessly, Greg, work for and have always worked towards. Wow, Jude, I love it when you talk that way. I, I love it when you say those things. And my heart is racing right now because I'm so excited about where, where we're going. Julie, may I f- follow up on what Jude has just said and also a deeper answer to your question because you ask about our potential and I don't think I addressed that in the last, uh, in the last portion here. If you don't get there, I'm going to bring us back around to get there. So you go for it because I, I want to share something else. So yeah, I'd love to hear it, Greg. Well, the, the potential is based upon our story as well, the, the accepted potential. I'm, I'm going to bring a word into this conversation that I'm finding is very controversial in our, our live public events because of the perceptions of what it means. And the word is divinity. So human divinity, the definition actually has nothing to do with religion at all. If you look at the definition of divinity, it is the ability to transcend perceived human limitations. That's all divinity is. The ability to transcend, mm-hmm. to move beyond, not the the real, not the factual limitations, but the limitations we place upon ourselves through our story, through our conditioning. And I think this is vital because we live in a society right now, and we are the product of at least three generations of education where we've been taught that we are powerless victims of a world that we have no control over. And even deeper than that, there is a sense that we are flawed as carbon-based beings, that we are flawed in our humanness. For example, our emotions are a flaw in our makeup that cloud our logic. This is, this is one of the ideas that's being perpetuated, that, that our ability to empath, to pick up the feelings from others, influences logical decisions, and, and that is a flaw. So we're being conditioned to believe this and to remedy this. We're being taught that we need something outside of our bodies to be healthy in life and to be successful in the world. That means we're victims. And as victims, it means we need a savior. And the savior is being touted as technology. So there is a movement now to replace much of our natural biology that's the product of all of the beautiful processes Jude just described. There's a a movement gaining momentum to replace our natural biology with synthetics, with synthetic polymers in the skin, with chemicals in the blood. Uh, computer chips in the brain, artificial intelligence, sensors under the skin, so that we can remedy our flaws. The movement, I know many of our viewers are familiar with this, it's called the transhuman movement. It means different things to different people. So as a scientist, what I I want to say, first, I, uh, I love technology, and the technology is never right, wrong, good, or bad. It's the thinking of how it's applied. We have amazing technology computer chips that can be implanted into the brain to run the prosthetics of our loved ones who have lost limbs in war, 
to give them the ability. I mean, can you imagine coming home from Afghanistan or Iraq and not having the ability to hold your children in your arm or brush your own teeth or feed yourself? And now the technology gives you that ability. What a beautiful thing. So it's not about the technology. It's about the thinking that that technology should be imposed upon all newborns, which is one of the the proposals that's, that's coming forward now, that newborns need to be given computer chips in the brain so they can compete in the world. They can communicate with their hard drives without any any external wires or anything like that. Here's here here's where I'm going with this. When and the science is very clear about this. When we begin to replace our natural biology that comes from the processes of the cosmos that Jude is describing so beautifully in this book. What the science shows is that our natural biology begins to atrophy. We have systems in our body, our immune response, the the cells, the neurons that are being created in the brain until the last breath we take on, on earth. We're constantly creating new neurons. The catch is if they're not engaged, meaningful, in a meaningful way, within uh, about a week or 10 days, they will atrophy and die because they think they're not needed. We begin with newborns giving them AI visors and putting chips in their brain where, where everything is done for them. They are no longer engaging their imagination. They're no longer engaging their creativity. This is how we lose our divinity. This is how we lose our natural human ability to transcend the limitations. And here's the beauty of this. We don't know what our limits are. And here's the reason. Because all of that computer technology is limited. A computer chip is limited by the physics of the stuff it's made of. But what the new science is showing is that our neurons and our cell membranes are scalable. And they are scalable beyond any limits that we know today. We do not know the upper end of how scalable our human soft technology is. So I propose that we don't want to give this away, at least until we know what it is we're giving away, and we're only beginning to understand the deep truth of our human potential. And that is a big part of the new human story, our relationship to the earth, our relationship to the cosmos, to the field, to the forces that bring us together. We can't be separate. And as we understand the earth and the cosmos and the the new physics, we're understanding ourselves because we're made of the stuff that the cosmos and the earth are made of. So there is a movement now based in fear that is becoming very popular among young people. They're taught to discount the sanctity of their own biology and to worship and praise the technology that is through very slick marketing is being made to look like the answer to a beautiful life. And I think it's something we all need to be aware of and we need to be aware and protect our children from these things. This is such a big conversation and we could go many episodes in this because it's, it is one of those vital conversations. Again, Greg, that you raised this, you know, we're a part of one unitive process of consciousness that's manifesting in multiple scales of time, space, and expressions simultaneously everywhere all at once, right? And so Jude always says, this is my favorite phrase of Jude's, is that we don't have 
mind and consciousness. Mind and consciousness are something that we in the whole world are. So I want to just kind of pause with this big conversation because it's it's really, really big. We've talked about the cosmos. We're talking about social systems and now we're talking about the technology. And I really love what you're saying about the risk of losing our divinity and that literally if we're part of one unitive process of consciousness, it is unlimited. It, it's incredibly, our potential is incredibly unlimited with the stuff we're made of. And if we think of a computer chip, I love that. It's finite. It is, it has limitations. It's even what a human mind can program into it, let alone what it's made out of and what it can do. So this is really important. So I just want to pause and bring in our wisdom here on a more personal level. Because Greg, you wrote a really beautiful review, an endorsement for Jude's book. And I want to bring, I want to read that to you. And then I want to read my favorite phrase and just kind of let us bring this huge, vital conversation into a real sweet spot here. So you wrote, the story of Gaia is destined to become a cornerstone for the cosmology of the new millennium. Caravan, Caravan invites us on an extraordinary journey that gives our mind the reason to accept what our heart already knows, that we're born into a universe that supports us and an evolution as an integral part of a larger evolutionary process. I love this book. So Greg, you wrote that and then Jude started talking about belonging and that impulse of evolution. And now you brought in the word divinity. And one of my favorite phrases in your endorsement is that it gives our mind the reason to accept what our hearts already know. Hmm. So I want to bring that element in. Our hearts know this. And if we can, we're, we're, Jude is bringing in new information in science. You're bringing in new information in science. There's so much now for us to really assimilate. But we're also talking about not only our biology being this cosmology that we're talking about, but there's this wisdom in our hearts that can help us guide our way through all of these changes, all of this new science, all of this technology conversation. Just like you're saying, having a, a computer chip help somebody with an artificial limb versus implanting babies to compete. So let's go to the wisdom of our hearts, Greg. And I wonder where you would go with that. And I know Jude will want to jump in here yeah. too. Well, first, I, I just thank you for sharing that endorsement. It's been a couple of months since I wrote it. And Jude, I haven't spoken with you since I wrote that. I want you to know that happened, uh, that happened on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> when I was thinking about your book uh, and I I have such deep respect for you as a scientist and as an innovator, but also as a, a dear friend. And I wanted to do a really good job when I wrote that endorsement. I wanted to honor you in the best way possible. So I was just open to whatever, you know, I, I asked myself, I said, what is it really about this book? It's, it's obviously an awesome book, but what is it that, that really, you know, really lights me up? 
uh, about this book. And it's just what I said. You have done such a beautiful job. We live in a world where people are asking for reasons to think differently. I think people are willing to think differently. It takes energy to change our belief systems. And if they're given a good reason to think differently, I think people are happy to do that. And you've made it very easy. You've coalesced so many ideas into a very concise few chapters that are rich in ideas based upon new discoveries of science that that people typically don't hear about. And the reason I think that people are drawn to it is because those ideas affirm what we already sense is true in our hearts. And I talk to people, I live in a rural area in Northern New Mexico, Julie, and you know, I go to my local co-op to buy groceries and a lot of my neighbors, they're, they're not into this conversation. They're too busy trying to make ends meet for, they got big families. The economy is tough. All they know is that something's not right. When I see them in the aisle, they say the world's moving too fast. Something's not right. We need to slow down and go back to basics. And those basics begin with intuition and what we know about ourselves and our relationship to the world. I went to the conversation, the previous conversation, because you invited me to talk about potential and and the role of potential and what we have to gain from embracing a story or what we may lose if we cling to a story that's based on obsolete science and, and uh, ideas that are no longer supported. That's, that's why I went there. And my neighbors, they, they don't know that. They just know that there is something that rings true in them, and that is going to allow them to guide their lives and their children. And the things that aren't, they say, you know, the world's just changing too quickly. And I, I think it's true for all of us. On some level, we all sense things are, are changing too quickly. We're overwhelmed. It's hard to find honest information. And, and I think this is our, our job as, as scientists. Science is, is made to be, as I said, to be constantly updated. So when we can share the discoveries with our community that actually support our deepest intuition, maybe not you know the, the technique equations or anything like that, but the principles that everything's connected, that nature's based in cooperation, the power of love to heal, you know, those are the kinds of principles that guide this universe, that guide this cosmos. And because I, I love this, I, I was at the CERN Superconducting Super Collider in 2017, and I was listening to the scientists that had discovered the field that underlies all existence. Now it's called the, the Higgs field. So they discovered scientifically what we've all sensed intuitively that everything's connected. But look at this, Julie, they were still doing this. When they were talking, they were doing this. Their hands were doing this. There's a field out there and their hands would do this that connects all things. And so even those scientists have forgotten that every cell in our body has a hundred trillion atoms and every one of those atoms is emerging from that field and it's collapsing into that field in a dance that makes us the field. We are these wrinkles these disturbances held in place by our consciousness in this field, it's not out there. We are the field. And so even the scientists that are, are making the discoveries are still struggling on a personal level about what these discoveries mean for them. And that's a very human thing to do. The thing is to be kind 
to be kind to one another as we ask ourselves to shift the entire paradigm upon which we have based our world, our civilization, our life, and our society. Be kind as we share the new discoveries because not everyone learns at the same rate. And in that kindness, we help one another arrive at the deep truth that we're not what we've been told and we're so much more than we've than we probably ever allowed ourselves to imagine. I, I love that. So I can just imagine I that, that, I that happening. It's interesting, though, the pace of this, because, you know, we talk, you talked earlier, Greg, about and, and Julie, about how it was once interesting to have the sort of discussions that they were perceived as being perhaps philosophical and interesting, you know, go and have a coffee and chat through them. But this is now vital, this understanding, this literally awakening to remember our wholeness, universal wholeness, is, is now urgent. We don't have 15, 20 more years to figure this through. And, and what I'm really excited by is the pace of the, not just the pace of the evidence that's coming forward, but there's a sort of the, the, the sort of the, 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 the pace of the conscious awakening and awareness of this. Because um, I'm sure you're both aware of it, but um, perhaps some of our, our, our viewers may not be. But the Nobel, P, the Nobel Prize for Physics in 2022 was given to three researchers who'd been studying this wholeness, this non-local unified nature of reality for decades on decades. And the Nobel Prize for Physics is not given for speculation. It's only given for what's called settled science, which is why Einstein didn't get the Nobel for relativity, because it was still seen to be speculative. He got it for something else, but called the photoelectric effect. But these scientists, these, these physicists, cosmologists, were given the Nobel Prize in physics only a few months ago for their experimental evidence of universal wholeness, of universal unity and non-locality. And of course, what that does as well, that I write about, is this framing, this, this evidence is underpinning and framing a, a unitive narrative where our intuition is natural, our resonance, our knowingness is actually a natural attribute of our divinity. And so much more, as you say, we're, you know, it seems to me that we're literally just remembering our divinity as some of the projections and the technology, technological approaches are seeking to diminish it. So this is why, for me, this new story, narrative, new humans, story of Gaia, and all the evidence together is so vital now. So it seems that for us, how do we share this as widely as possible to empower people, to offer people authentic hope in their own future as humans, their own conscious evolution into this realization and embodiment of all these incredible attributes that we hardly use and yet are so much naturally part of who we really are. Yeah, yeah. Julie, can I chime in on that? Yeah, please do. I, I think, Judah, I just, I love this conversation. And you're so eloquent in the way that you share these ideas because this is your passion. This is why you wrote the book. 
and I ask myself the same question about the sharing. And what, what I know is that not everyone will embrace these ideas, uh, at least not at the same time, because we all learn differently. What I realistically, when, it, when, when the rubber hits the road, what I see happening right now is I see two parallel societies emerging right now, not in the future. It's happening in some places. It's happening under the same roof at the same dinner table where the parents are embracing one way of thinking and living and the children see something very different because they're all being informed through the echo chamber of the artificial intelligence that's driving their, their information, you know, where, where they get their, you know, YouTube feeds and, and all of that. But what I see happening is this, I think two parallel societies are emerging and uh, one of them is all in on everything. They're all in on all of the tech, on all of the, you know, chips, implants, chemicals in the blood, everything. They're going to go for it. There's another, another faction that I see in my co-op in the rural areas of, of New Mexico and in America when I tra- and all over the world when I travel, not just in the U.S., And that is the faction that says we're moving too fast. We need to go back to basics. They're pulling their children out of the public schools to homeschool them. They're growing more of their own food. They're learning how to take care of their their bodies and become healthy. I think what will happen is we can't go on like this. It's not sustainable. So I think we will very shortly, what we will see is we'll do what humans always do. We're all going to check each other out. And we're going to say who's happier who is healthier, whose lives are more fulfilled, who has more joy in the time that they share with their families. And the answer to those questions will drive the choices. People will say, I want what they have. I want that health. I want that joy. I want that happiness. And I think ultimately we'll probably reach a midpoint, a hybrid where we embrace the technology to a degree to serve us, but we do not become enslaved by the technology, which is very possible. And many technologists are raising the red flag saying we need to to reel in, especially the artificial intelligence. We need to reel that in. So, so I think the way to answer the question, Jude, the way we share this with people who are open to listening, and then by example, they will live in their lives what this means. What, what does it mean to solve a problem in the corporate boardroom in a, a world of cooperation rather than the world of competition? And what does it mean for young people on the playground to work together to help everyone you know, achieve a goal rather than ridiculing someone that may not be as adept? Those are the implementations of these ideas. So I think we share them with people that are open. They will live in their lives uh, by example. And by example, I think that is how you really reach a lot of people, by example. I agree. I I see this as an invitation. It's an invitation and it's a sharing. It's just that. And then people, Yeah. I I love that. There's, There's a beautiful thing in Greek mythology, but it's a deep truth. And Buckminster Fuller also spoke of it. You don't fight the old or, in fact, you don't fight anything. You just sing a better song. You sing a better song and people want to hear that song and they want to sing it themselves. And I feel that's exactly what you're you're saying. And and I know Julie and I both feel 
that's exactly the way that we can serve best, just by serving the evolutionary impulse of the universe, which is an impulse of cooperation, which is loving, which is nurturing, which is hopeful, which is filled with profound potential. I love that. I appreciate that so much. The thing that I really appreciated about the story of Gaia is how the species and their evolution can teach us so much. They live peacefully together. Even, you know, bacteria, there's the, there's peaceful, harmonious relations on the planet and all species, all life point to that cooperation that we're talking about. Greg, when I first read the book, I had this metaphysical experience of just having 13.8 billion years inside me. It was like this beautiful experience that I had. And we were talking before the show, when we before we began taping, this perspective on, on cooperation and how it's informing us all right now. Like, Greg, you were up in the middle of the night thinking about this conversation. I was up. I had a dream. I'm just going to share this dream briefly. But as I was dreaming, I was dreaming that the cows, and I live in the middle of cattle country, right? In the middle of Nebraska, rural like you, Greg. But the cows were showing us how to save the river. And a snake, which was a dead snake, came to life to show all the species how to get to the compost pile. It was fascinating. So I don't I, I haven't looked it up. I haven't thought about it more, but cows were teaching us how to save the river and the snake was teaching us how to use the compost pile better. So I'm just wondering we have about 10 minutes left here. And what's moving inside of us today when we think about all this fun and, and where do we want to go? What woke you last night, Greg? What's waking you, Jude? Where are we at personally with all of this? <laughs> uh, we were just saying, weren't we, Julie? I mean, I get woken up most nights around 4 a.m. <laughs> and of all things, I got woken up by gravity this morning and my sense is just I'm communicating with this essence of what gravity is because when we look at our universe and from the very beginning, gravity has been a fundamental attribute of our universe because what it does, it guides structure. It guides coherence. So until planetary homes came along, such as our own Gaia, gravity formed stars and galaxies and interstellar clouds that were, were nurturing birthing fields. But it's in planets and planetary homes like Gaia and water planets like Gaia that the gravity actually enables the flows of information to be expressed in, in higher levels of complexity in what with the appearance of three-dimensionality. So, Greg, you know, when you talk about um, technology having a, a, such a wonderful range of, of use, you talk about veterans coming back or anyone with the need to have a limb, for instance, amputated. The template of our bodies still holds the informational wholeness of our body. And whilst technology, I feel, is helpful, I feel it's an interim process because we know that in a gravitational field, which our biology is naturally you know, embodied by, that the combination of the information of that memory, that template, 
and the gravitational gradients of our planetary home are able themselves to regrow a limb, to literally regrow a limb. And, and I don't know how far into the future this, this, this is, but I have, you know, what I'm finding with the, with the scientific evidence is it's possible. And gravity is this great maestro of form actually through its, its relational ways of, of bringing form into structure. So that's what woke me up at four o'clock this morning. <laughs> wow. wow. You know, well, this opens the door to, to an even deeper conversation. I'm, uh, I'm a geologist by degree. And my, my first assignment when I was in the corporations in the, in the 1970s was to evaluate where the magnetic fields of our planet are, were at that time, where they've been and, and where they're heading. And the, the magnetic field is a powerful component of the information and holding the information in place that we call our memory and our perception. Uh, it's not in the neurons in our brain. The neurons and the cell membranes are the antenna that tune to the field. Well, this is interesting because that field is changing and it's changing very quickly. It was only about three weeks ago that the scientific community published in the peer-reviewed journals the discovery that the inner core of our planet now has stopped rotating, which is, so we, we have an, a, a relatively solid inner core, uh, and then we have an outer core that's molten, then we have a mantle, it's about 1,800 miles thick, and then we have a, a relatively thin crust. And they all rotate with, they slip within the boundaries of one another, and that is believed to contribute to the magnetic fields of our planet. Well, this is interesting because all of our information technology was built with the understanding and the belief that our magnetic field was a constant. And as those fields are shifting, I, I think what's happening is energy is looking for synergy. And it's happening between nations. It's happening between cells. It's happening in marriages, it's happening in business, it's happening in corporations, it's happening in friendships, because we're all part of this system. And I think what woke me up at, at three o'clock in the morning is, uh, which happens frequently, I, that's a, a really common time for me to be awakened, is that there is an energy pushing all of us to greater synergy, whatever that means. It's our, our job is to find that synergy. We feel the evolutionary impulse, and then we have to translate that into some meaningful action in, in our lives. Us being together right now is a part of that. This is a, a beautiful synergy of, of energy that we have coming together. So there are physical reasons driving the shift. It's not business as usual. We're seeing things happen that we've never seen before and that we honestly don't fully understand because we're living our lives based on the old story that says we're separate from rather than part of. So those magnetic fields shift, it, it's going, it, it is, it changes our emotional component. It changes our heart rhythms. It changes uh, the way that we respond to crises uh, in, in our lives and to opportunities in our lives. And all of it is part of this big picture. Jude, you began talking about this. Nature allows change to occur when systems become so complex, they can no longer sustain themselves. They have to break down to give way to a higher order. Our systems become very complex. 
the ones that are unsustainable are breaking down to give way to a higher order. But it takes a generation. It takes a generation of people to live that. It, it'd be nice if it happened, you know, at the end of one life and the beginning of the next in between, but it doesn't. Some generation has to live this shift and not get lost in the fear of the unknown. And we are that generation. And the work that you do, Jude and, and Julie, the, the work you do and the work that you synergize is really helping people to make sense out of those uncertainties so that we can't, this won't last forever. It's a little window of time where we have this opportunity to become the best version of ourselves and create the best world possible. And I think that's what gets Excellent. me up at three in the morning. And it's what sustains us 24-7, I would say, because the opportunity is so great. I said right at the beginning, I think, when we were talking about your problem-solving capacities, Greg, which are enormous, that for me, even more fundamental is your potential, is your potential realization. And that's what we're really talking about. We have such incredible potential as future humans. You know, I also talk about as, as, as growing up to consciously become co-evolutionary partners with Gaia rather than her sort of tempestuous teenage children to grow up, to remember who we really are, that we are inseparable from the whole world. So it's my wholehearted delight that the three of us and many, many more and everyone hearing us, seeing us, our fellow mm. travelers on this way forward. So thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Julie, can I add, can I add one, one more? Just a quick, very quick. Here in, yeah. in northern, northern sure. New Mexico, we're surrounded by indigenous communities. And one of the common themes, they're all different, but one of the common themes that brings them together is they remind us constantly that we are living a dream. They say this world is a dream. And everything that's happening is the invitation to dream, dream a higher dream, to dream a stronger dream. And, you know, we can talk about all the details and the discoveries in science, and that's all important. But for me, I think about this every day. And I say this to myself often when I run into a problem, I'll say, Greg, dream a higher dream. And that helps get me mm. through the day. And I think it's an invitation for all of us to dream the highest dream for ourselves knowing that that dream is reflected in the field that brings everything together. Yeah. I'm going to do just a brief commercial for you because our listeners out there, if they're wondering, how do I dream a higher dream? I'm going to invite you to check out Greg's book, The Wisdom Codes, because there's some real specific concrete steps in there for you. Real easy, easy, easy. But it is. That's helping us dream a higher dream. I love this whole thing. I, I got to bring this to a close and I don't want to, but this whole idea of you bringing in gravity and then we're talking about the magnetic pole and the shifts in the field and this being temporary is another really good example of we know what we know now and we don't know what we don't know. But with what we do know now, there's so much exciting potential for us to step in alignment with that and to come back into harmony with nature herself and to, to be in this as all of this new, I, I love the energy of synergy, like you're interpreting that. And I have to tell you, Greg, what fired off for me is I had this vision that came in last Saturday night from a simple nightlight. I'm going to share it with Jude later, but it was like, me looking at the cosmic energies that are here fully supporting us all the time. And again, there's that thing. 
I'm pointing outside of myself as if they're not in here, hmm. but we know they are, right? But we have this cosmic support system here all the time. We brought in divinity and the heart and, and this illusion of, of this dream that we are living. So as you said that, I'm like, all of a sudden, the science of what I was seeing started to come in and make more sense to me. So we just need to keep telling our stories, come into wholeness here, have these kind of vital conversations. And Greg, I'm going to invite you to have the last words here before I close. What's the call to action? This has been an amazing hour for us in a minute or so. What's the call to action for our listeners? Well, first, I just want to thank you and, and Jude once again for the honor of sharing this time, sharing part of your day with me. And I want to thank everyone tuning in for sharing a part of your day with us as well. We know you have a lot of, a lot of opportunities to, uh, to put your energy in a lot of other things. I think it's what we already said, uh, Julie, my, my invitation, it is we can be overwhelmed by the information overload and all of the narratives that come to us every day. And my invitation is to, to rise above that. Yeah, it's all happening and it's, it's, all, it's all part of what's happening, but this is a dream. And my ancestors say that it's a dream within a dream. There's an even deeper dream that's happening. And if that's true, we're dreaming the dream. This is our world that we're dreaming. And when we find ourselves in, in a situation that is difficult or that we'd like to change, Rather than fighting it, dream a higher dream. And it begins in the heart. And I think that that is, for me, what gets me through my day. Thank you for joining us again today. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is part of our Conscious Planet series with co-host Jude Curvan. Thanks for joining us. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.